0: You. Also with you it is a joy to welcome you this morning to Southminster Presbyterian Church we welcome those who are visiting we welcome those who are part of our online congregation we are glad that all of you are here and especially today we want to welcome all the the Scouts members of the Scout troop and the Cub Pack We're glad that all of you are here, the scouts, the leaders, family members who might be with us, welcome, and we are grateful that we can work with you to advance the cause of scouting. Uh, I was a scout, I made it to second class, and that was as far as I got, but uh, we have some scouts who are going to advance way beyond that, so we're glad that they're all here. Uh, Just several announcements for this coming week. Uh, This Wednesday, as you know, is Ash Wednesday. We will be gathering in the uh, Christian Fellowship Center for uh, a service of prayer, uh, imposition of ashes, communion, and rededication of baptismal vows. So that will be at 6.30. We'll begin with a light supper, a soup supper, and then we will have the service as we mark the beginning of Lent. All of you are welcome to join us. We look forward to that. Uh, Next Sunday is Church World Service Blanket Sunday, and if you're not familiar with Church World Service, it's been involved in relief and development since going back to World War II, and the Blanket Sunday is one of the ways that they serve. They provide these wonderful blankets that uh, are used as shelters, as tents, to carry belongings, all kinds of uses, and uh, your offerings next Sunday will go towards the Uh, cause of providing blankets to uh, people in need around the world. So don't forget Blanket Sunday. Uh, The Lenten devotional book, which is is available now, it's on the little table out in the narthex. Please pick up a copy and uh, it's a way for you to enter into the season of Lent during your personal prayer and devotional time. And I would encourage you to take a copy today if you've not yet done so. Uh, Finally, next Sunday, For the first Sunday of Lent, we will begin our Lenten study on the difficult words of Jesus by a very interesting uh, New Testament scholar. She's a Jewish New Testament scholar, Amy Jill Levine. We will be using her book on the difficult words of Jesus. And the co- copies of that book are in the church office. And we ask for a donation of $14 to defray the cost. So pick up your copy this today if you haven't done so. And then join Steve Davis and me next Sunday for the difficult words of Jesus. And that will meet for the five Sundays of Lent and then Palm Sunday. Uh, during the uh, 11.15 hour after the worship service in the uh, hospitality room. I believe that concludes our announcements. Uh, We are grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be leading the service. Uh, Nancy will be back sometime tomorrow. And uh, fortunately, nothing's gone wrong on my we can charge yet. So hope, hopefully everything stays calm and quiet for the next two days. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and l- allow us now to give our hearts to the worship of God.
1: We light the Christ candle to remind us of the presence of Christ in our midst. If you are worshiping with us at home via live stream, Please light your own candle. Please stand for the call to worship. We who have come to follow Jesus, to hear his voice, calling us to be apart for a little while. We will listen and follow and open ourselves to new visions. The one who leads us will reveal to us who he is. May our hearts be open to God's bright glory, shining in the face of Christ the Son.
0: seated. As we come to God in prayer, we recognize that they're all, all of us have fallen short in some way. That's really the definition of sin in the Bible, falling short, missing the mark. And so we come to God knowing that God's mercy is never-ending and, and God's love extends to all generations So with that assurance, let us unite in praying the prayer of confession. God of compassion, in Jesus Christ, you reveal the light of your glory, but we turn away distracted by our own plans. We confess that we speak when we should listen and act when we should wait. Forgive our aimless enthusiasms. Grant us wisdom to live in your light and to follow in the way of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. One who calls light out of darkness now shines in our hearts to reveal the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Amen. All of you gathered here in this place may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with you. please greet one another with the greeting of peace
1: Let us pray God of shining Let us pray God of shining splendor, your voice makes the earth tremble in wonder. Overshadow us with your Holy Spirit, so that we may hear the word and live as faithful disciples of your Son, Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. A reading from Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Listen for the word of the Lord. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as our servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The word of the Lord.
2: you yeah. we
0: children, please come forward. Today's story is about a time when Jesus took his disciples up on a mountaintop and something very amazing happened. And I want to share a version of that story with you before you go to Sunday school. So you can just imagine, here are Peter and Mark talking to each other. "'What happened, Peter?' Mark asked. "'I can't tell you. Not now,' Peter answered. "'Are you sick? You and James and John, you look so pale.' no, we're not sick, Mark. Peter was shaking a little. Something wonderful happened, but I can't tell you about it. Not now. Years after Jesus was killed and came back to life, Peter finally told Mark the story. Jesus took us up to the top of a mountain, said Peter. It was a long climb. We were tired when we got there. Just you and Jesus, Mark asked. No, James and his brother John were there, too. They know what happened. I'll never forget that time, said Peter. All of a sudden, Jesus changed. His face shone. It was like looking into the sun, and his clothes turned white, really white. Then there were two people with Jesus. Who, Mark asked? Elijah and Moses. Well, how do you know? Well, I don't know how we know," said Peter, "but we knew." And Jesus was talking to them. "So what did you do?" said Mark. "Well, I didn't know what to do. I said to Jesus, shouldn't we build three little houses here? It would be we could build one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah." It sounds silly now that I think about it, but I was so afraid I didn't know what to say. "Well, what did Jesus say?" Mark asked. He didn't say anything. A bright cloud came and covered him. And then we heard a voice. James and John heard it too. You can ask them, was it God? It must have been. The voice said, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. That's all? asked Mark. That's all. Well, what did you do? Well, we were so scared we fell flat on our faces. But then we heard Jesus saying very very gently, Don't be afraid. Get up. Mark was shaking his head. I don't understand. Every time I think I understand, I hear something new. Then I have to think about it all over again. Yeah, said Peter, I know what you mean. So, as you think about this story, think about the ways that Jesus shows himself to us And and sometimes we don't understand it and we have to think about it a while and we even have to pray about it. And uh, so I hope this week, as you go through your days, as you go to school or do whatever you're doing, that you'll think about how Jesus is with you and that he'll always show himself to you, often in the faces of other people. So let's say a prayer together. Please repeat what I say Dear Jesus, show yourself to us that we might follow you. And always listen listen. to your voice. voice. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Continuing uh, with the reading of Scripture from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 9. Six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray that you will silence all of the voices of fear and confusion and doubt that swirl in our heads and in our world, and allow us in this moment to hear your still, small voice. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Listen. There are a handful of things that Jesus didn't really plan for, things he didn't prepare his followers for, things that might have gone a lot easier and clearer if he had simply done some more advanced planning. For example, we are now in the midst of a presidential election year, Jesus didn't really plan for how his movement would interact with politics. Scholars have long demonstrated how Jesus stood in clear opposition to the dominant superpower of his day, the Roman Empire. When dragged before Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. But I don't think Jesus ever envisioned a world where the Christian faith would end up being adopted by that same Roman Empire some 300 years later, and where the Christian faith wouldn't so much change the empire as be changed by it. Certainly, Jesus, a first-century Jew living under Roman occupation, never established clear plans for how His way of life and faith would mesh with a representative democracy like that of the United States. Yet we have people on the left, right, and in between all claiming His authority to support their particular political agenda. How many people have justified bad behavior or even outright evil by claiming God was on their side? Do you think Jesus ever imagined that he would one day become a pawn in the political drama of a global superpower like that of the United States? But here we are, and I sure wish things were clearer. I sure wish Jesus had made it more obvious how to translate the good news of God's kingdom into political philosophy and public policy. Jesus never planned for such a project. Neither did the early church. In fact, since the early followers of Jesus thought that the world would end at any time, they didn't really make any long-term plans at all. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, and we realize that there are things that Jesus just didn't plan for. But what he did plan for, in today's gospel lesson, is to offer his closest disciples a glimpse of the glory that was to come. Mark tells us that this event we call the transfiguration occurs six days after Jesus told his disciples plainly in Mark 8.31, just a, a chapter or so earlier, part of a chapter earlier, he said that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Three times, in this middle section of Mark's Gospel, Jesus tells them what lay ahead of them in Jerusalem. His arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And the disciples just don't get it. Over and over in Mark, we find them being dense, obtuse, uncomprehending of what Jesus says will happen when they go up to Jerusalem. And so that is the context for today's story as Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, Big James, and John. In The Chosen, John's brother James is always referred to as Big James to distinguish him from uh, Little James or called James the Younger in Mark 15:40. So Jesus takes these three, J- J- uh, Peter, Big James, and John up on the mountainside to be alone. And the mountain that they ascended was probably Mount Tabor, which rises some 1900 feet above the surrounding plain of southern Galilee. And there on top of that mountain, in the presence of Peter, James, and John, Jesus is transfigured, transformed into something beyond words, his presence shining with a holy, ethereal light. As Mark tells it, his Clothes became dazzling white, whiter than Clorox could ever make them. Can you imagine how Peter, James, and John must have felt in that moment? Think of the most powerful, breathtaking moment of your life. That moment when time stopped, when the earth stood still, when your mouth dropped open, when your eyes glazed over and you found yourself moved to the very depth of your being. Perhaps it was when you held your firstborn child. Perhaps it was the view from Pikes Peak or some other large mountain. Or or maybe it was your first glimpse of the Northern Lights. I'm going to Alaska in May and I'm hoping I'll see the Northern Lights. Or maybe it was the first time you stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon. Whatever it was, it's the kind of experience that leaves you breathless, speechless, totally shaken and undone. Uh, What's the word in Yiddish for such an experience? What is that word? Forklempt. Forklempt. They are forklempt, these three disciples. They are shaken to the very core of their being. Peter, James, and John had witnessed Jesus do some pretty remarkable things. But this was something altogether different. Whatever, whoever they thought Jesus was, whatever perception or understanding they previously had of him, all of that was changed in this one incredible, remarkable moment. Leith Anderson describes how our perceptions of a person can change. Think of the boy down the street who used to deliver your newspapers the one you tipped five dollars at Christmas time, the one you haven't seen for years, the one you liked but wondered if he would ever amount to anything. Now it is the day of your surgery and you are pleased that the doctor is renowned as one of the best in the field. He walks into your hospital room and he seems vaguely familiar. He introduces himself as your former newspaper boy from down the street. You are shocked. You see the resemblance, you recognize his voice, you can hardly imagine that it is the same person. You wish that you had tipped him fifty dollars instead of five dollars. You wish... nope, those comparisons aren't good enough. And so Pastor Anderson concludes, I don't think anything compares. The disciples saw Jesus as they had never seen him. Never seen him before and wouldn't see him again until they were welcomed by him into heaven. And then, as if all of this weren't enough, the disciples see Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Moses, who led the Israelites out of slavery and gave them the Ten Commandments. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, the the only one to be taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire the one who Jews believed would would return one day to prepare the way for the Messiah. These two men, Moses and Elijah, represented the law and the prophets, the main sources of authority in Jewish life. And here they were conversing with Jesus on that mountain. And what were they talking about? Well, I can imagine a, a conversation that goes something like this. Moses, hey, son of God, son of man, we miss you. And Elijah, dude, it's just not the same here without you. Jesus says, It won't be long now, guys. And Elijah says, Yeah, you know, this, this prophet stuff is pretty hard. Actually, Luke's version of this story tells us they were discussing Jesus' departure, in other words, his exodus. That's the word in Greek that Luke uses, the word for exodus. And so Moses, who led the exodus, and Elijah, who would return to prepare the way, were discussing how Jesus would soon go up to Jerusalem for his exodus, to suffer, to die, and to be raised from the dead and to ascend to heaven. And so as you can see, this story represents something essential and profound about what God was and is doing through Christ. The good news of God's kingdom is about radical transformation. Metamorphosis is the word in Greek. Peter, James, and John are experiencing a metamorphosis. They are witnessing something incredible. They are given a glimpse of the glory and the power of all that Jesus represents. They were shown in a profound and mysterious way that Jesus is here to transform the world to bring about a metamorphosis, Jesus is here to make all things new. And in that profoundly majestic and mysterious moment, the disciples are nearly speechless. Nearly. Because in that moment that demanded only silence, reverence, and awe, guess what? Peter can't help himself. Peter, the one who, on so many other occasions, spoke up, spoke out of turn, couldn't seem to keep his mouth shut, in this moment of incredible reverence and awe, he speaks up and says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, we can understand, I think, what motivated Peter's request. Who wouldn't want to prolong such an experience, to to make it into a holy place, to turn it into a place of pilgrimage, to institutionalize it? There are, of course, sites like that all over the Holy Land. If you've been to the Holy Land, like I have, you've seen them. Even, in fact, on top of Mount Tabor, there's a church to commemorate the Transfiguration. And so how easy it is to turn such places into shrines to make idols of them to worship what to worship the place to worship the shrine rather than what it represents and so i can understand why peter says this i can also i also find it humorous that mark cryptically adds that peter did not know what he was saying can you think of times in your life when you did not know what you were saying. All of us have had moments like that. All of us have had moments when we when we spoke out of turn, said things we immediately regretted. I, I would cite you a few examples from my life, but I don't think you really want to hear them. We've all spoken up when it would have been better to have shut up. Uh, a quote From Ernest Hemingway, I don't know if it's a real quote, it might be apocryphal, but a a quote from Ernest Hemingway was floating around Facebook this week, it takes two years to learn how to speak, and 60 years to learn how to keep quiet. (laughs) To his credit, Peter didn't need 60 years, because in that moment he quickly realizes that it would have been better had he kept his mouth shut. Because the very next thing that happens in verse 7, the thing that kind of tops it all off, that culminates the whole story, is verse 7 says, A cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Chances are that if they had been listening to Jesus before, uh, if they had not been listening to Jesus before, they would have listened to him from that day forward? Because after all, wouldn't you, if you had had an experience like that, such an an experience of such an extraordinary event, wouldn't you conclude that you had better give Jesus your full and undivided attention? For this is what Christ wants from us the most, isn't it? To listen to his voice rather than allow it to be drowned out by all the Cacophony of strident and discordant voices that fill our world and cause so much anxiety and uncertainty. So, listen, in some ways, we in the Christian church, we are just like Peter. We have been entrusted with this incredible, amazing, radical vision of a new world, a transformed world, the emergence of God's kingdom. And our response is often not to embrace it or to join with it or to let it transform us out of our comfort zones. Our response is to attempt to contain it, to set up religious structures that may witness to it, but don't always participate in it. And so we take this wild, unpredictable, and terrifying movement, and what do we do with it? We institutionalize it. Now, just as Peter, James, and John were terrified of what they saw, we are terrified by what the good news of God's kingdom might make possible in our lives and in the world. We are terrified by what this might mean for us. You you mean? You mean I might have to change my heart and my life? You mean I might have to not only get to know my neighbors, but learn to love them or even love my enemies? You mean I might feel compelled to radically alter my priorities and change my commitments? You mean I might actually experience the presence of God as more than just an idea in my head? You mean for the first time in my life, God might actually be real? These are frightening possibilities, maybe even terrifying realities. It is so much easier to set up a shrine, so much easier to maintain a religious structure. We're, we're all pretty good at that, aren't we? We've been maintaining our religious structures, our institutions for, well, I guess the church has been doing this for 2,000 years now. And it's also much easier to argue about the most culturally relevant organizational structure or the appropriate style of worship. It's much easier to fight about who God calls to serve as if we are possessed of some great spiritual insight or intuition. It's easy to talk about the gospel. It's a lot harder and a lot scarier to actually live the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that the institutional church has value in the world. After all, I've spent the last 44 years of my life serving churches. I'm up to number 10 now. And plus the churches I've been a part of when I was serving in other capacities. And yet, I wish, like perhaps you do, that Jesus had left us with more concrete plans, more uh, knowledge and understanding about how to be his church in a complicated world. I realize that there are things we can do together that we could never do as individual Christians or autonomous congregations. I understand that it is always worthwhile to look for the best ways to be the church and to seek out the most creative ways of serving our community and our world yet sometimes I can't shake the feeling that we are not paying enough attention to Jesus's call to transformation that we are not paying enough attention to his deafening silence when it comes to matters about how to maintain an institution There is an urgency to the good news of God's kingdom that I don't think we really feel. And I wonder, do we get so caught up in doing church work that we end up missing the deeper implications of what it means to actually be the church? Listen, this is not just about institutions. Each one of us is a child of God seeking to follow in the way of Jesus looking for a glimpse of the transforming power of God's love. We've all held a newborn baby. We've seen relationships restored. We've seen enemies reconciled. We've witnessed incredible healings and peaceful deaths. We've somehow managed to survive even the most painful of losses. We've been filled with inexplicable hope we passed through the waters of baptism. We've gathered around a common table to share a sacred meal. We've all heard somebody say something at some point in our lives that opened our eyes to new ways of seeing the world and opened our hearts to new ways of understanding ourselves and others. Our spirits have been stirred and troubled as we long for a vision of the world that we can't quite articulate. We've been to the mountaintop, or if we haven't, We long to get there. In three days, we will mark the beginning of Lent with the celebration of Ash Wednesday. I invite you to return to the CFC Wednesday evening to begin the journey with us. And as we travel toward the cross and the empty tomb, I encourage you to remember Jesus' moment of transformation on that mountaintop. Be open to the glimpses of transformation, of metamorphosis that are revealed to you each and every day. And don't be afraid of letting that transformation change you. Listen. The voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You don't need to do anything in the presence of God. Just listen. You don't need to say anything in the presence of God. Just listen. You don't need to justify your existence in the presence of God. Just listen. Stop. Breathe. Listen. 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 Amen. As God has opened our hearts to the message of good news, may God also open our spirits to the gift of generosity and stewardship in support of God's mission in this place. Let us give of our tithes and offerings to the Lord as the ushers come forward. seated. Concerns for our church family this week included include the uh, those who are bereaved, the families of Richard Hartman, David Jensen, and Glenn Harvey. Also ongoing concerns, Vivian C., Melita M., Pearl S.'s friend Barbara, Linda D.'s sister Deb, Gretchen C.'s father Stephen, uh, safe travels as he visits his mother, Uh, Ojulu and Abang, concerns for their families and friends in Ethiopia, Uh, ongoing health concerns including Haley, Riley, Clyde A and Judy M, Uh, those dealing with cancer including Curtis H, Winifred, Susie, Nathan, Julia, Marvin, Mike F, Phil, Dana, Renee, Uh, those recovering from illness and surgery, including Jim M, Roy B, Ralph Y, Del B, Art N, and Max J. Continued prayers for Pat B and Jason S. And for those in hospice care, Pat C and Charles. Let us lift these concerns to God as we unite to pray. Holy and gracious God, we keep scrolling through the news, forever flitting from catastrophe to exhilaration to trauma over and over again. Make us stop, Lord. Help us to pause in order to listen to your voice. Teach us how to breathe. Show us how to behold rather than barrel through your world help us to learn how to take a break to breathe and to behold the world with you, the eyes the eyes of your heart may we breathe and behold on behalf of the suffering people of Gaza and of Israel as the ceasefire proposal was rejected and perhaps as many as 31 of 136 hostages still held by Hamas have died bring your protection to all who have fled violence including a million people who are sheltering in Rafah, and now face the prospect of fleeing again as Israel prepares a massive military operation. May we breathe and behold for the people of Sudan, where a civil war has forced nine million people from their homes, including members of my neighbor Morris's family. May we breathe and behold, on behalf of those caught in the atmospheric river, that brought torrential rains, flooding, and mudslides to parts of Southern California last weekend. May we breathe and behold for the nation of Chile, where deadly wildfires have destroyed areas along the central coastal region, burned thousands of homes, caused the deaths of scores of people with many others still missing. May we breathe and behold for those who hold different political beliefs. As we enter a presidential election year that will be full of hateful rhetoric, division, and misinformation, please empower us as your people, O Lord, to be bearers of truth and love. Help us balance your desire for justice and equality with your call to care for our neighbor. May our churches be spaces of welcome where we can have faithful conversations that develop and deepen all of our understandings. Grant us the courage and the conviction to look for you in the faces of the immigrant, the prisoner, the homeless, the abandoned, and the weak. May we breathe and behold for each other in order to deepen the ties that bind us as your people in this place. We pray for Pastor Nancy as she completes her study leave, that her time away has been restful and renewing. We pray for those in this fellowship who face challenging times, who bear the burdens of illness, sadness, and grief, as we silently lift them into your presence. Faithful God, we pray for hearts and minds and strength to breathe and behold you in the world around us. We pray that we might learn to love, not just in word, but in deed, here and now and always. In your holy name we pray as we unite to pray the words Jesus our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, great to be together, hasn't it? Glad for all the scouts and their leaders and family members. Thank you for being with us and for helping with the service. And now go forth with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and always. And God's people said, "Amen." Amen.